You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for December 24th, 2022, Christmas Eve. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Peter Walsh. It's based on Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Welcome. It's so wonderful to look out and to see all of your faces here, and we welcome all of you who are streaming with us tonight on this holy night. A long time ago, I was in seminary, and I had a professor who was extraordinarily intimidating. He was a world-renowned scholar. He was one of the two leading liturgists in the world, liturgy being the study of the rites and rituals of what we do in church. I was half petrified of this man, and I loved this man. He had a daunting intelligence, and he did not suffer fools, and I was a full-blown fool, and I knew it. If I saw him coming down the hall, I might duck into the bathroom to avoid him. One of those eccentricities that I loved is he smoked cigarettes with a cigarette extender like FDR and Audrey Hepburn and Noel Coward and Ian Fleming. I took every class of his that I could take, and I took his last class. It was called the Anthropology of ritual behavior. It was the third or the fourth class when he arrived at the lectern for his lecture and said that he was throwing the syllabus out and he was changing the topic of the course to things he wanted to talk about. (laughs) He said that we could read the books if we wanted, but there would be no tests and no papers. He was sick of grading and he didn't like reading the rubbish of his students. This guy really knew how to make friends and influence people. He said, if you want to write a paper, George, the TA, will read it. Now, I sat in the back of this class with George, the TA, who was a good friend of mine who had a wry smile on his face because the amount of work he had to do was getting less and less with each class. George T.A. is now the Bishop of Dallas, by the way. (laughs) He also loved and feared this man. This was perhaps the best class I ever took in seminary or in college. One of the things that Professor Kavanaugh liked and was very passionate about was Christmas. And one day he got telling the story about the church where he served as an assistant in Hamden, Connecticut. He told the story of how the hapless rector had the children's choir sing happy birthday to Jesus during the Christmas pageant. I'm sure Professor Kavanaugh turned purple. It's amazing with a guy with health record that he had, that he did not have a heart attack. This was a high liturgical crime and it needed to be reported to the authorities immediately. He said that he went home after midnight mass and he wrote a scathing letter to the Archbishop of Hartford about the liturgical malpractice and lack of theological knowledge from the rector of his church. I remember thinking, this poor rector, he must have bummed that he had a world-class theologian as an assistant. So Professor Cavanaugh went on to say that Christmas, the festival of the Holy Nativity, is not Jesus's birthday party, it is the Feast of the Incarnation. Feast of the Incarnation being the doctrine of the Incarnation, being that God was, became flesh 
and was made man, as they say, assuming our human nature and becoming one of us. C.S. Lewis, uh, the great, one of the great apologists of the Christian tradition, wrote often about the Incarnation and said it was the central event in human history. And theologian upon theologian, people like Bonhoeffer said that the Incarnation is the central theological idea upon which all Christian theology hangs. But the best description of the Incarnation I ever heard was not from a world-class theologian, but from a former punk rocker. It didn't come from Bonhoeffer, but it came from Bono, right? The lead singer for U2. We have somebody from Dublin sitting right down below me here tonight. Uh, but if you do not know who Bono is, he is far more than a world-famous rock and roll star. He's a philanthropist, and he is a social activist, and popes and presidents look forward to meeting with him. And this former punk rocker was the uh, time and man of the year in 2001. Queen Elizabeth II, God rest her soul, knighted him, and he is amongst the most famous followers of Jesus in the world today. Is a very, very serious follower of Jesus. Many of you know that he has recently uh, published an autobiography called Surrender. Much of the book is about his spiritual life and that of two of his bandmates and the influence that Jesus has had on their life as they try to understand how to live in the wake of Jesus. But years before the book came out, I stumbled upon Bono's conversion story in a book of conversion stories, and it is a Christmas conversion it is the most stirring description of the Feast of the Incarnation that I have ever heard. And every time I read it, it reminds me of Professor Kavanaugh, God rest his soul, too. Now, before I launch in and I read you Bono's words, I wish he could be here tonight. He couldn't make it. Uh, uh, I would give you just the editorial footnote that the word that I quote as feces uh, was not the word that Bono used. I'll leave that up to your imagination about the word that Bono used. So Bono said this about his Christmas conversion. I remember coming back from a very long tour. I hadn't been home. I got home for Christmas, very excited of being in Dublin. Dublin at Christmas is cold, but it's lit up. It's like a carnival in the cold. On Christmas Eve, I went to St. Patrick's Cathedral. I had done school there for a year. It was where Jonathan Swift was dean. Anyway, some of my Church of Ireland friends were going. It's kind of a tradition on Christmas Eve to go, but I'd never been. I went to this place, sat. I was given a really bad seat behind one of the huge pillars. I couldn't see anything. I was sitting there, having come back from Tokyo or somewhere like that. I went for the singing because I love choral singing, community arts, a specialty. But I was falling asleep, been up for days traveling. Because it was a bit boring, the service, I just started nodding off. I couldn't see a thing. And then I tried to keep myself awake, studying what was on the page. It dawned on me for the first time, really. It dawned on me before, but then it really sank in. The Christmas story. The idea that God, if there is a force of love and logic in the universe, that it would seek to explain itself is amazing enough. 
that it would seek to explain itself and describe itself by becoming a child born in straw poverty, in feces and straw, a child, I just thought, wow, just the poetry, unknowable love, unknowable power, describes itself as the most vulnerable. There it was. I was sitting there, and it's not that it hadn't struck me before, but tears came down my face, and I saw the genius of this, utter genius of picking a particular point in time and deciding to turn on this. Love needs form. Intimacy needs to be whispered. To me, it makes sense. It's actually logical. It's pure logic. Essence has to manifest itself. It's inevitable. Love has to become action or something concrete. It would have to happen. There must be an incarnation. Love must be made flesh. So Bono pretty much gets it all to the degree that any of us can get it, right? God is love with a capital L. God is logic with a capital L, what we might call wisdom. God is the creative creator of the universe. The incarnation is the poetry of God. And God, with all that we mean when we say God describes God's self as a child born in the lowest possible circumstances, what Bono calls straw poverty in feces and straw. And it is, when we awaken to it, the ultimate wow. The greatest power becomes the most vulnerable, the timeless in time, the universal in the particular, and the divine essence manifested in form. Being becomes doing, and love is made flesh. Somehow it seems to me that it takes a punk rocker to see that the central event in the history of Earth is earthy. Bono's poetry catches God's poetry, right? The moment that lights up the skies that Father Justin just read from the Gospel according to Luke, uh, when the angels burst upon uh, the world of the shepherds comes when a child is born in what Bono calls straw poverty, feces and straw. The word incarnation obviously has carne in the middle of it, carne meaning meat or flesh or muscle. Think of that great Mexican dish, carne asada. Uh, in Spanish, carne means red meat. And so when it comes to the incarnation, the heart of the matter is really the meat of the matter, right? This is divine love in the red meat of the flesh. This is a love story written in meat so that no one and no thing can be below or beyond the love of God. No one can say that Jesus is too highfalutin for me. I just can't identify with him. Not even the animals in whose trough he was put. The blessing of the incarnation is for everyone and for everything. During the past two or three weeks, I listened to the last 25 years of the Christmas addresses of Queen Elizabeth to the Commonwealth. And in her 1987 address, she, she touches upon this, though her language is much more delicate. I, I wish I could imitate her a dignified and royal and squeaky voice. It's completely in my head and I hope it's in your head too. In this uh, 1987 address, she pulls out one of the treasures from the Royal Library. It's a 500-year-old 
bejeweled book of hours. And a book of hours is a collection of prayers and devotional readings and sacred drawings known as illuminations. And she says, oh, one of these illuminations is exquisite. And she notes, and I quote, the anonymous Christian who drew the picture nearly 500 years ago has included all the familiar elements of the Christmas story which we hear with such pleasure every year. Here are the angels above bringing the glad tidings to the shepherds who listen attentively. Down here where the baby Jesus lies in the stall, you can see Mary and Joseph watching over him, quite unmoved it seems by the man playing bagpipes overhead. I'll just pause here. I love it, I don't know if you caught that, that she said all the familiar things are in the Christmas scene and then she includes the bagpiper. Uh, I mean, I know I came from a family of Anglophiles, but we did not have the bagpiper. Uh, and then she goes on to say, the star over the stable has lit the way for all of us ever since. There should be no one who feels shut out from the welcoming and guiding light. The legends of Christmas about ox and ass suggest that even the animals are not outside that loving care. And then eventually she comes to her Christmas blessing and she says, may the Christmas story encourage you, for it is a message of hope every year, not for a few, but for all. So in sending you my Christmas greeting, I pray that God may bless you. And then she pauses just a bit and she says, everyone. Christmas, the feast of the Holy Nativity, the Feast of the Incarnation is a wild and crazy, love-laden story. It is, it is mind-blowing, and the more you think about it, the more mind-blowing it is. And it's meant to be soul-boggling. It's meant to change our lives. God's only Son is here to change our lives. And it's meant to be earth-shaking, and it is even, as you know, hallelujah, heaven-shaking. It is obvious that we all love our Christmas gifts. I love Christmas and I love getting gifts, but it is and it has its great root in the great gift of love that God writes on the world with his son. And it is for everyone and that means for me and for you too. sermons on our website, www.stmarksnewcanon.org.